hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. Beware, spoiler phobes. You have stumbled upon a storm of spoilers, a podcast about HBO's Game of Thrones series in conjunction with the Song of Ice and Fire books by George R.R. Martin. It is rethrone season as we re-watch the six previous ten-episode seasons of Game of Thrones in preparation for season seven hitting HBO this July. It's highly recommended you catch up with the show as we go along, and our local book experts will also be cherry-picking literary and adaptation nuggets as we march towards a new, spoilable season of Game of Thrones. The Realm. Do you know what the Realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left? Gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Hello and welcome to Storm of Spoilers. My name is Dave Gonzalez and I have not read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. My name is Joanna Robinson and I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. And I'm Neil Miller and I've read all the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series and this week I busted out my Worlds of Ice and Fire book as well because Ooh. we're uh, starting to spread out a little bit in uh, Westeros and Essos and beyond. That is going to be important and I said I was going to do that in between shows and I didn't. I apologize. I'm going to get that book out. And I'm going to start using it for reference because we're back into watching Game of Thrones. It's our Rethrones project. We're on season three this week. We've been going back over all the previous seasons of Game of Thrones. These have been really fun because the show didn't exist for these three seasons. So this is the first time I'm hearing everybody's opinions. Well, not Joanna. She was on Cast of Kings. But the first time, definitely Neil and I get to challenge Joanna's opinions <laughs> about Game of Thrones. Ch- well, um, in person, uh- like at joanna instead of just like shouting into the void of i'm wearing my headphones walking down the street oh yeah there was a lot of shouting people i was living in new york at the time so it kind of i kind of fit in but here here it wouldn't wouldn't work out blast from the past blast from the past um speaking from uh i can i guess there's no good way to speaking of brendan frazier movies speak (laughs) what what (laughs) were we (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's a brendan fraser movie called blast from the past okay oh with leech silverstone where he's trapped in the bunker yep. and then sells the baseball cards yeah yeah i remember that movie that was real pleasant <laughs> um more on topic though uh this show we did some off-season tour stuff we covered some other pop culture things you could check in our back catalog you could also join us as we ramp up to game of thrones including con of a show at con of thrones later on this month and, as always, you can let us know what you think of the show by leaving a review on iTunes. Joanna, do we have any reviews? Yes, we got a, a couple of not-so-great reviews. I would say that there is, like, one... This is sort of like someone threw a leech on the fire, and each leech has one of our names attached to it. So, nice. here Can't we go. Can't wait to see which <laughs> dick leech is mine. Um, actually, Neil, you're, you're the only one who doesn't get called out by name, but I'm going to infer that the last one is kind of about you. Okay, so 
This first review says redundant one star from a pull and PG. And April and PG says, Joanna, like my name is spelled terribly wrong in every way in this review. But that's okay. Joanna uses this show to complain about the same social tropes over and over and over and over and over. We get it. All right. The next review tried Do to, you though. <laughs> tried, to like, you? Try, tried to like it, but one star from Wild Build 07, who said, tried this again after Gem Pop was canceled, but Dave G is really too much to bear. So that's that's two dick leeches on the fire. Wow. He's, <laughs> he's on that Dave Chen train. It's okay. I don't, Other Dave's a nice guy. I actually I, I that that seems fine to me. I just I, I can't imagine what I've been doing to I feel I feel like I've been mild. And our last one uh, <laughs> is from Vishnu21386. Two stars. Uh, the headline is Sansa is not considered one of George's children. It's John, Danny, Arya, Bran, Tyrion. Anyway, this podcast might be okay for casual listeners, but the host's knowledge of the source material often falls well short of that of a true expert. It's painful listening to them get confused about events in the show or books. With the show past the books, their main shtick is done, and they are better podcasts for A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones fan, giving an extra star for nice production value. So thanks, Vishnu, for that. Um, You know, I will say this real quick. They do kind of have a point. I feel like I've been struggling with a lot of plot stuff these last couple of weeks. So I'm working on it. I'm aware of it. And uh, it, it does feel like I'm like off my game. But season three, as you're about to find out, gets me back on my game. I don't know that you're off your game. I think it's just like one of our like if we were complete machines we would be rereading the books along with watching an entire season of television every week, <laughs> but we're not machines. We don't have that amount of time. So like, yeah, we're, we're doing I'm our sorry. Podcasting about Game of Thrones isn't our full-time job. I okay. wish it were. I, I know it would be lovely. I'm going to read one more, which is not uh, disparaging just to sort of get us all in a better mood, maybe, which is a five-star review from house mall Holland, but not spelled like Will Holland drive, but spelled differently. Anyway, the headline is Renly would be a terrible king exclamation mark. And I kind of like that this person used their review to like write a little argument about Game of Thrones. <laughs> the three hosts provide excellent commentary on Game of Thrones and other shows and films. While they may occasionally disagree, they do so in a genuine, friendly, and educated manner that sadly refre- reflects a lost art form in most American discourse. Five stars is well-deserved, even if Joanna said Renly would be a good king and neither Neil or nor Dave protested. Renly would be a terrible king. He should have followed <laughs> his older brother Stannis, the one true king. Instead, he played at being king amongst a course raised in the long summer. He would have continued the game of court policy politics in King's Landing and even made the realm worse than Robert, neglecting the steadfast ferocity ferocity that was needed for the coming winter apocalypse. So those are our reviews more than usual. Um, Thank you guys for the feedback and moving on. Thanks for that that argument about Renly. You make several good points, actually. It's it's been interesting rewatching them with the foreknowledge of where we are now because like those that argument is sound, but then if you know you remove a domino from the domino line and put it somewhere else, maybe we do end up in a better place with a weaker king at a specific point. 
It's not like Joffrey's a strong king. The argument I was trying to make this morning on Twitter was that like Renly, because this is an argument that's also happening over on Twitter, my defense of Renly. And like Renly, I think, would have been like a fashionable, popular king. A like... uh, and but that, maybe not and that, as productive. Well, but then like Marjorie, I feel like Marjorie and Olena and the rest of the Tyrells would have gotten shit done, you know, because Marjorie would have been his queen. And then our friend, friend of the pod, Sue from Watchers on the Wall was like, don't elect a dummy and then, then expect their staff to do the ruling. And I was like, oh, yeah, all right, your allegory <laughs> is well taken. <laughs> so. I did always feel, especially with hindsight, I did always feel that Renly sort of... Renly and Stannis represented like these two extremes yeah. where it was like the hardened conservative. And I mean that in like just a mannerism way, uh, battle commander who is all about loyalty, productivity, you know, um, he would, his kingdom would have been joyless, but it probably would have been, I don't know. He would have balanced the budget. Whereas Renly would have been the fun King, but maybe, uh, he would have had problems keeping the seven kingdoms, you know, together in line. Um, well, that's a question. Like, do there you was think, no middle ground. Do you think that like a charismatic leader who's just sort of like, I'm okay, you're okay, I fuck dudes, it's fine. Um, like, is that is that a weakness that other people feel are going to feel like that they can exploit? Maybe, but Renly's, people in Westeros for sure. But Renly's a good fighter. And Sir Loras is the best fighter. His boyfriend's the best fighter. And then his wife has all the money and all the soldiers. So, like, I... It's true. You know, like, Renly has a significant force behind him, even if he himself is, like, a peach-eating, you know, gold armor-wearing But whatever. he's also but not... Like, he never seemed to me like a man of the people. He was always very elite. I thought he's, he was... I mean... He's elite as any, you know, person born with the name Baratheon would be, but like he's popular with the people, just like Marjorie is popular with the people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they would have made a good team, I and, think. And it was like so much better than like Joffrey screaming, like, kill them all, or like whatever, or Stannis, <laughs> who definitely doesn't care about anyone. So here's the question, know. though. We've watched Daenerys go on this long. I, I, and I swear we're going to get to season three here in a second. But we watched Daenerys go on this long journey. Does she split the difference now after all she's learned in Slaver's Bay and over in Essos? I still feel like she has learning left some lessons left to learn in Westeros. Um, I think I think some of her rigidity that we saw at the beginning, some of her Stannis-esque rigidity has softened a bit. Where are my uh, dragons? Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I just remain unconvinced that Daenerys is the right ruler for the Seven Kingdoms. But that's an unpopular opinion. So eh, it's all right. I wrote a big article last year about how she's the villain. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> that's a weird little pod to start with. Maybe Renly should have been king, and Daenerys shouldn't be king. I but like that's... I like opening these with a philosophical question. That's really good. Yeah, it's like a crazy. It's a crazy way to start. Are you as Crazy Town, Star Wars spoilers. As Crazy Town, Star Wars spoilers. I'm going to take this back. Yeah. Daenerys will be a great queen of the Seven Kingdoms if she fucking listens to her hand, who is Tyrion fucking Lannister. Right. Tyrion's obviously the king we all need. Whoever is ruling as long as they listen to Tyrion Lannister, I feel like we'll be okay. But, yeah. 
Nice. And 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 Daenerys has her WMDs, so like nobody can fuck with her. And so then like she can feel free to have some liberal policies because it's like, yeah, I'm a liberal, but you know, have you seen my dragons? So P.S. <laughs> right. I just want to know more about the Night King's politics. I just want to know where he falls on all this. <laughs> yeah. What are his policies on? He, I feel like is the welfare. ultimate <laughs> communism metaphor. He's like, now you're all dead, but I will rebirth you, and you're all equal again. Oh God. All right. <laughs> we need to move on. This is going to get weird. <laughs> so we are, of course, here to discuss season three, where we are unaware at this point of the Night's King at at the beginning of the season. By the end of the season, we have sort of an outline of him, right? That's the season? No. Where we get the baby touch? No, no? that's next season. But Craster's dead in this season. This oh, it's the last what baby. you get for going too far ahead. Yeah, Dave. This is what I How get for getting too far ahead. How dare you watch ahead. You <laughs> yep. should, like, like me, there's watch... There's three more reviews being like, they can't even keep the plot straight about which ice baby gets iced. <laughs> ice, ice baby. You should... Honestly, though... You should do th- what Joanna does and cram last minute. It works not very well. Honestly, though, this is why I won't start watching season four until right after we're done recording, because I would get stuff screwed up. As well. And that's why we have this section for Neil to actually remind us what happened in yes. season three. The super fast sort of recap of what happened for those not rewatching, which if you're not rewatching, come on, guys, let's do this. It's fun. I'm having a lot of fun with this. Anyway, we're going to check in on the children plus one this week. <laughs> <laughs> Bran Stark meets Jojen and Mira. Learns that he's a warg, camps out in the woods a bunch, visits a windmill, wargs into Hodor, sends Rickon away with Osha, makes it to the night fort, tells a story about the rat cook, meets Sam and Gilly, passes through the other side of the wall. Not a whole lot going on for Bran. Daenerys Targaryen travels to Astapor, almost gets murdered by a child, meets Ser Barristan, makes a deal for 8,000 Unsullied, doesn't trade away Drogon, burns Astapor the F down, Marches to Yunkai, threatens more slavers, meets Dario Naharis, version one, takes control of Yunkai, does some hashtag problematic crowd surfing. <laughs> Sansa Stark, still kicking around in King's Landing, is offered a chance to leave King's Landing, but declines because she thinks she's going to marry Loras Tyrell. Then she's forced to marry Tyrion, much to her surprise. Then she seems to warm to Tyrion a bit. Then she finds out that her mother and brother were slaughtered the twins, so now their marriage isn't quite so warm. Tyrion Lannister demands that he be given Casterly Rock, but is given Master of Coin instead. Uh, he then gives Podrick a gift, hmm. learns dark things about Varys's bits, spars with Lady Olenna, is forced to marry Sansa Stark, gets super drunk at his wedding, threatens Joffrey a bunch at the end, and has a mildly heartwarming chat with his sister about, I don't know, parenthood. Arya Stark. The Ron Howard movie? What? Parenthood? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort of. (laughs) Um, Arya Stark gets captured by the Brotherhood, watches the Hound kill Beric Dondarrion, watches Beric come back to life, watches Beric hand Gendry over to the Red Woman, escapes from the Brotherhood, gets captured by the Hound, Travels to the twins, almost attends the Red Wedding, brutally kills a Frey soldier, remembers that she has a Bravosi coin right at the end there. Jon Snow, who we last uh, left north of the wall after he had killed uh, Corrin Halfhand, uh, goes to meet with Mance Raider and, more importantly, 
Tormund Giantsbane, convinces them that he wants to be free, makes love to Egret in a cave, climbs the wall, makes out with Egret at the top of the wall, refuses to kill a horse breeder, escapes the wildlings, gets shot by Egret, barely makes it back to Castle Black. And as far as we know, still alive. Significant deaths in Season 3. This is a long list, so stay with me. <laughs> Hoster Tully, who dies off screen, but his funeral was awesome. Craster, Lord Commander Mormont, Beric Dondarrion, just once, the Titans Bastard, the other guy from the Second Sons, Orel the Warg, Ricard Karstark, Greywind, Walder Frey's wife, Roz, Krasnus Manoclos, that's that's uh, what I named him, Talisa Stark, unborn baby Ned Stark, Rob Stark, Catelyn Stark, and Theon Greyjoy's manhood. Those things all died. They are survived by Jamie Lannister, minus a hand. Brienne of Tarth, minus her armor. Roose Bolton, minus shame. Walder Frey, minus a wife. Stannis, minus an army. Gendry, minus some blood. Sir Davos, minus a son. Cersei Lannister, Tywin Lannister, Lady Olenna, future Queen Marjorie, sword swallowing Sir Loras, and a bunch of Dornish that we have not yet met. Oh, and four kings and three still relatively small dragons. So that is your season three recap. Who are our surviving kings? Stannis, uh, Joff, Balon, and Mance. And Mance. Okay. Yep. So only Beyond four of the five have uh, are surviving at this point. Well, I think Mance is not because uh, Renly, Renly, and Rob were two oh. of the five kings. I think Mance wasn't counted in more of the five kings, but I'm perfectly fine with you counting him here. Also, yeah. I want to say point of order way back in reference to that review we got. Um. I agree that Sansa's not one of George's children, but I think we could definitely say that she's one of Dan and Dave's, David's children, right? Like, Yeah, and she's sort of, you know, the, the idea behind George's children are these the ones that survive to the end, and so far Sansa has survived. So, I don't know, maybe we'll drop her off the list for our next rethrones after she's maybe gone. Uh, Who knows? Um, yeah, uh. I mean, I see Sansa going in... The last season, if she's gonna go, mm-hmm. that makes sense. That's a good, solid prediction. I would say. All right, we ready. Cool. So we're not quite on Sansa Death Watch. Sansa Death Watch. Sansa. <laughs> but we will get there. We say maybe like that, it's booming. <laughs> Sansa Death Watch. Sansa Death Watch. <laughs> and we're back. With Joanna Robinson, who's going to tell us <laughs> some stuff that they changed from the book for season three and left out, specifically a character that we've been rooting for as a show for a very long time. Okay, so this is far and away not a complete list of what's different from the book and see in you know book three and season three. This is the back half, uh, or no, it's the front half of book three and ish okay and uh this is not complete this is just some things that i think were worth mentioning so the battle of fist is omitted um and instead we sort of get this aftermath with sam sort of wandering through the snow and far as far as like omitted battles go i'm fine with this one because they i really don't think that they had the white walkers at all figured out uh 
this is this is a comment on characterization. I really disliked. I was recording Cast of Kings at this time, and I got really tired of defending Sam because everyone was just making fun of Sam all the time for this first episode where he like forgot to send the ravens and then I think like peed himself and like all sort of stuff. But in the book, just like wants something to leave him to die in the snow. In the book, Sam did send the ravens. Thank you very much. <laughs> and the White Walker that he killed, like he kills the White Walker here, not later. And like some people don't believe him. That's where he gets the nickname Sam the Slayer, which is sort of like a mocking thing. But like Sam kills the White Walker. He sends, he does his job. Like, cause the episode opens and like you can't help but sit there and go, Sam, you had one job, which was to send the ravens. <laughs> and you have to look at Commander Mormont and say you didn't. Anyway, the mischaracterization of Sam the Slayer. Uh, I feel like they whiffed the whole Mancerator thing. Uh, the series did, like, as a whole. And I think they know it, and that's why they killed him when they killed him, because they're like, eh, we're, uh, we just don't know what we're doing with this. But, like, you know, Mancerator has this whole court. Um, I don't want to say he was miscast, uh, because I really do like that actor, Kieran Hines. Please don't at me with me mispronouncing his name. I actually um, think that's the right way to say it. Sure. Um, <laughs> just, just wait until the Irish weigh in. But, um, <laughs> you know, Mance's whole court, uh, his charisma, like everything, I think that they just did not do very well at all. They, they sort of, um, you know, we, we talked about this last week, I think, about the change of the show from like, um, a more sprawling character study to more like action punctuated, you know, exhilarating thrill ride. And I think that this is an early example. It might just be a smart adaptation choice, but it might also be like, we don't have time to get to know Mance Raider's court. So we're just not going to do it. But like, uh, they are very important in the book and, or maybe Although they'll they be inconsequential. Yeah, maybe they'll be inconsequential in the end. Um, a difference is Miss Andy's age, which I quite like. She is aged up significantly for the show. She's just a kiddo uh, in the books. And that brings me to another thing this show, this season did, you know, for as much as we knock Game of Thrones for its treatment of women, um, this season I really see an effort towards developing female friendships in the show that don't exist in the book. That's Shay and Sansa. Like, they are never friends in the book. Marjorie and Sansa are kind of, like, friendly-ish in the book, but, like, as in the show, you just get the sense that Marjorie's like, oh, here's a piece on the chessboard that I can uh, learn to move around. But, like, I feel like there's just a little bit more friendship between them in the show and then Miss Sandy and Daenerys because they've made Miss Sandy older. They're not quite, like, friends yet this season, but they're still, like, they have good conversations. So that's a good change. Um, Catelyn being more sympathetic. Um, that whole speech she gives about John and how she like made a deal with God and she felt really bad that she couldn't love him. Like that's not in the books. Like Catelyn just hates John and that is that. So, you know, they made her a little <laughs> bit more sympathetic. So we'd be perhaps sadder when she died. Uh, Theon's story. This is a big deal. This is moved up from like the, we don't find out what happens to Theon. Like Theon exits at the end of books, book two and we don't meet him again until Dance with Dragons. Um, so you sort of like hear about him via letters, but you don't see him until then. And they were like, that's not really going to work for Alfie Allen to be gone for multiple seasons. So we're going to move all this stuff up, which they did. They made Pod older so that he could, among other things, get a great new reputation. Um, <laughs> Still not explained. <laughs> seasons um, later. 
the Lord Commander Mormont, when he dies, he dies in Sam's arms, and he says, I mean, you guys, I have to mention this whole thing, because, of course, it's about my boy Jorah. Lord Commander Mormont's dying words are, all the fists, the wildlings, dragonglass, this all, tell my son Jorah, tell him, take the black, my wish, dying wish, tell Jorah, forgive him, my son, please go, uh, is what he tells the Sam. Uh, instead, he dies, like, with no friends on the floor, being stabbed over and over over again. So much, <laughs> so much worse death. Okay. Um, in the books, Stannis never not once talks to Shireen in any of the books. Not one conversation. And so I'm actually curious if Dan and David knew at this point that they were going to have to burn Shireen in a few seasons and they decided to sort of start laying some of the complicated factors down. Um, it also humanizes Stannis more to ha- his relationship with Shireen. Uh, the Roz stuff, as we've mentioned for two seasons, is completely show invented. And as much as I hate Roz's depiction on the show, I hate her death even more. Um, <laughs> the Sansa Loras t- Tyrion sourcing wedding stuff uh, is is like a much bigger uh, diplomacy game going on with a lot more players of like who's going to marry whom. There's extra Tyrells that we don't talk about. There's like Balon Greyjoy is a suitor at one point. Like there's all this sort of stuff. And so they streamlined it. I think it's probably good that they streamlined it into those few players. Um, I think as we mentioned last week, there is no pregnant wife um, for Rob Stark. He has a wife. Her name's Jane. Some people think she's pregnant, but she's, I don't think she is. And Talisa being pregnant and at the Red Wedding is a show invention, which is the show making one of the most horrific things that happens even more horrific <laughs> by adding a pregnant lady. Um, and then the last thing I'm going to say that I missed. Sorry. Oh, no, I got a couple more things. Sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when Jamie, <laughs> when Jamie returns to rescue Brienne from, uh, Heron Hall in the bear pit, he goes back because he has a dream about her. It's a great dream. Uh, where at one point he says, in this light, she could almost be a beauty. He thought in this light, she could almost be a knight. And when Brienne asks him why he came back for her. <laughs> He says, I dreamed of you. So, you know, like, it's one of those lines like, egg, I dreamed I was old, or, uh, what was it? Only, only cat. Like these various lines that I think some book readers felt really precious about that the show just cut. And that's whatever. Um, in the books, Rob legitimizes John before he goes to the Red Wedding. That's kind of a big deal, or maybe not, <laughs> given that it's just cut <laughs> entirely from the show. Uh, and then all the Northerners that are named Northerners sort of in the book who are at the wedding. Um, by the end of the massacre, the Freys and Boltons have killed at least one member of each house in the North um, and spared very few people. So... Uh, you know, n- not really recognizing the Northerners by name at the wedding. I don't know whether or not that's a mistake. And the last thing, I promise, the very last thing is that when Sam and Gilly <laughs> are in the wilderness, they get rescued by a man named Cold Hands. Um, and he is cut for the show. We, uh, here on Storm Spoilers, we're really hoping he would show up. He sort of has in that Uncle Benjamin's back, even though George R. R. Martin says Cold Hands is not Uncle Benjamin. So the mystery rages on. <laughs> but, <laughs> but <laughs> that's all I have to say about book differences. I still want a character. Yeah. I still want a character that rides a, like an elk or yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. That. That's something I'm missing. Benjamin coming back, that's fine. 
Those differences, those differences are only like 15% of the differences. Here's another fun difference. I lied. I'm done. I'm not done. I have one more. Sansa's (laughs) 12 when she marries Tyrion. They get undressed, they get into bed, and then Tyrion like leans across and tries to grope her breast. She's 12. And she doesn't say anything, but he can sense she's not into it because she's 12. And then he's like, never mind. So <laughs> the show Tyrion, ultimately the show is much more of a gentleman. Yes, yes. And they, they you know, uh, Sansa and Tyrion become friendly for a little bit in the show that that never happens in the book. Perhaps. Also in the show, I noticed that she says she's 14, which I hadn't really processed as a show thing. Right. Until I rewatched it, which is one of the things I noticed when I rewatched it. Yeah. Everything, everything, you know, gets highlighted through through time in a different way. I it's, it's really <laughs> what that means Yo, you don't know what that means that's it's the like same a, thing i was saying that's like a time, line time from, is a flat circle that's like a line from easy rider like uh, i i know a lot about time everything okay. gets yeah. viewed through time in different ways right okay. uh, now that we know you know where it all ends up and everybody's yeah. i guess like true allegiances uh watching you know some of the dancing that happens in king's landing socially uh is kind of kind of ridiculous like Shay, Shay somehow gets more annoying when you know what happens, which is yeah, something that I've Shay been dealing with. Really frustrating. It's uh, she's such yeah. a great character in this season. Like she's, you're really rooting for her. Like the show, I think the show really played that up. I don't. Obviously, this is where I'm going to tread into territory where I get stuff from the books wrong because I haven't reread them. But I don't feel like you ever got that with Shay. Like, oh, there not was, at all. Yeah, she, you no. didn't. You weren't rooting for her as hard as you do in the show, because then I mean, ultimately makes the betrayal that much worse in the it show. Makes the betrayal worse, but also like makes less sense to me. Like the the, right. the betrayal with Tywin doesn't make a lot of sense. I think Shay is great in this season, and I think the actress playing her is great in this season, Sybil Kelly, and I think that she gets a really bad rap. Um, but yeah, in the book, she's just like. I don't care that you're marrying Sansa. Go put a baby in her belly and then come back to me. And like, you know, Tyrion's just like constantly when she says this stuff to him, he's just like, yeah, she doesn't care about me at all. <laughs> like there's just never a sense that Shay really cares about Tyrion at all. And, and they make it more complicated in the show, but then, you know, we can get to this next season, but um, then it, it makes less sense. I think later on. So, yep. All right. So those are the changes. Some. Some of the changes. 15% or slightly more. <laughs> um, if we could change anything in season three, what would it be? Uh, I would have fewer scenes in Dragonstone. I think you could ship them somewhere else because uh, Stannis just go- goes through like a weird paranoid thing and then sends off the, the Red Woman. And I think if you know we- she just would have popped up in another storyline, it would have been fine. And then we could catch up with uh you know maybe some some stuff in dragonstone later right before they leave it but i think like spreading dragonstone over two seasons really makes it feel like you spend a lot of time in dragonstone doing nothing i think part of that Uh, is the function of them like changing the edric storm character who's a bastard who's one of robert's bastards who's um if not raised at least like fostered for a while at dragonstone and melisandre mm -hmm. wants to kill him and so Stannis is grappling with that. And so, and there's a lot of other stuff that Stannis is doing in the books. And it's fine that they cut it. But you're right. Like when you cut that, when you 
cut the Edric stuff and make it sort of this rando named Gendry instead. And so like, who the hell, like why would Stannis care about Gendry? Um, like, sure. Kill that kid. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know him. I don't care. Um, you know, you don't have enough story for Stannis. And so then, yeah, why, why spend so much time there? Uh, and I also think it's a good season to not lean into the Lord of light part of the religions, because I think there's so much swearing by the five and so much, uh, that's happening is not part of the Lord of Light. That if we, you know, we know now that he has sort of a he it it has sort of the concept has a resurgence around Jon Snow Jesus time. So I, I think it would have been interesting if uh, maybe magic waned a little bit in season three, even more than it does already. That's mine. Okay, so mine would be this is sort of related to them, I think, whiffing the Mancerator stuff, but go a little deeper on what I call John's Donnie Brasco plot, uh, which is like I I would really like to see <laughs> more of John like feeling the pull of being with the Wildlings, and also like in the books, Egret knows that John she tells John she knows where his true allegiance lies. Uh, you know, it's slightly ambiguous, but like. Uh, it's it's all I think just sinks a little deeper, uh, and that's partially because John's younger in the books, and partially just because they have longer to spend with him undercover. I think, um, but for me, that that like time with the wildling stuff, like I don't know, maybe become closer to Tormund or something like that. So the fact that he sticks up for them so hard later makes more sense. Does that? Do you feel like season three, Kit Harrington, it would be capable of such a performance? No. <laughs> But that's a larger issue. That's a larger casting flaw at the center of Game of Thrones, in my opinion. Any season Kit, I don't like. I don't know why I'm in the minority about this, but any season Kit Harrington, I think, is is not fully capable of the depths we want to see from Jon Snow. Like, don't you kind of wish wish Richard Madden had been Jon Snow? <laughs> <laughs> Well, now He's that you mention it. so much better. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, he was, but he... I will say this about Richard Madden's performance in season three. He really sells that Rob Stark is like Ned's son through and through. Like, except for the whole marrying some other one, uh, other girl and getting his whole army murdered. Um, there's really like, as a strategic and sort of a leader you really sort of buy Rob Stark, whereas I didn't buy him as much in the books. His death is still super tragic, but, but you I don't know, know why? You really, because Richard, they really sell him on the show. He, they sell him, but Richard Madden sells himself because he's great. And you want to like spend time with him on, on screen and Kit Harrington. I'm like, your hair is nice kid. And you've got a great power. Also. Yeah. Kit does. He has that like, um, just wide eyed sort of naive Jon Snow thing. You know, like, I, I feel like that was always the reason, you know, that Egret tells him he knows nothing is because he's kind of a moron. Um, and I guess it's the longer game. I don't know. I worry that I have similar worries, but more for like the future. Like, I worry that Kit Harrington won't be able to carry where Jon Snow is going rather Kit, than being able to carry where he was. Kit and Amelia, who are like two of yeah. the weaker elements of the show, I think are going to have a lot of. It's a lot of pressure on season them. seven. So we'll see. Um, my th- my thing uh, to change is related to Amelia Clark. Uh, and it's that last shot, obviously, hashtag problematic crowd surfing. Uh, but here's the thing. 
I think they really liked the idea from a production standpoint of this like single shot of her in this middle of this brown sea, which I think is the problem with that shot, which is like they did it just for the visual because in the books, she hears that the battle is over. She rides her white mare, which I think the horse is long gone by now, but she could have gotten another one on the show. Oh yeah, but she her rides horse dies in the desert outside Carth. Yeah, so it's like this, in the books, it, it's more this like parting of the sea celebratory, they start calling out Misa, and it's like her and her army are like riding up in between these, these waves of people that are coming out of the city, and I think maybe that would have been a better way to do it. Instead of this, this, the whole setup was like her standing out there waiting, and then they were very skeptical of the slaves, um, it to me, it, I, I this is one of the few book things I revisited, but it's more triumphant that she like hears that the battle is over and it's like, let's go meet my people. And she rides up and the slaves are coming out and they're just like parting ways for her. So I don't know. The show seemed to like that visual. They could have done it better. Yep. For a don't number disagree of reasons. on that. They could have done it better based on what was in the books. <laughs> we'll stick with neil as we move on to our next category something you remember hating that you liked upon rewatch or something you remember liking that you now hate what's changed neil uh well this actually is also a symptom of not rereading the books <laughs> because in the books brand's stuff is awful in the show when i watched it and had just read the books like the first time brand stuff was really awful and boring and uh, this time around, it was it. You just sort of notice how brief all the brand stuff is, and how there is some interesting stuff. The Hodor thing really comes through, like him warging into Hodor, and sort of how sad and weird that is. Now that you know that that's how Hodor gets broken later. So I found the brand stuff and the stories that he and Jojen are telling each other far more interesting this time around. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I that surprise that Hodor thing. That <sighs> now that you now that you brought it up, I wasn't even thinking about it. Now I'm also. I feel it. I almost feel like the first time I watched the show and read the books, I was like, "Why isn't there more Rickon? <laughs> isn't this kid going to be important later?" Yeah, and now we're like, uh, "Let's forget." He's it not. <laughs> they could. They should have been working on zigzag patterns. <laughs> but other than that, nothing. There's nothing good with this kid. Um. Yeah, that first appearance of Bran, where it's a dream, and and they got Kit Harrington. I think it's yeah, they didn't just like CGI them in that forest. Like they're dressed the same as they were in that opening shot in Winterfell in season one, and they're like teasing Bran about shooting, and then you hear Sean Bean's voice. Like that's that's a, that dream sequence is a lot, and then jo- good old Jojen shows up. So good old Jojo, old Jojen. <laughs> um, oh, Jojen. Joanna, what would you or what do you like or dislike now that you're watching? I like the northern stuff with Rob and the Karstarks and the Umbers and and all of that that's happening. And um, Dean Charles camp. Chapman, yeah, <laughs> as a Lannister, as a Lannister, <laughs> not the right Lannister. Yeah, um, knowing you know as we do what the show decided to do with like the Karstarks and the Umbers in season six, it's fun to sort of pay attention to that stuff in this season. So. Uh, yeah, I liked I liked the the Rob trying to figure out how to rule, how to be king in the north uh this season. 
And my favorite thing that's different viewed through light of time is <laughs> I like the Brotherhood Without Banners stuff now <laughs> that I know about, you know, the Fire God and who they are in general. And that, you know, it's kind of the last time that Arya and Gendry get to be part of a family unit together, as far as I know. For now. Uh, for now. Yeah, the Thoros Someone's stuff. still Rowan. You really pay more attention to the Thoros of Mir stuff now that you know more about it. And I think in the books you have the advantage of there's more of that. Like, the, the whole story about Thoros being, like, sent by the high priest to, you know, bring Robert Baratheon into the light of the Lord of Light... And, uh, like, all that stuff seem, feels like it matters more. At, at, well, when yeah, I first watched it, of, I was like, this guy's going to do Stoneheart, right? This guy's going to do Stoneheart. Kind <laughs> and, of, yes, but kind of also, like, I thought you, I thought watching it, like, this is going to play into how John's brought back. <laughs> but it's like, nope. John right. was just brought back. You know what I mean? Like, all the stuff that Thoros talks about, about, like, coming back and, like, how you feel like you've lost your humanity, basically, and all that stuff that's really interesting and deep. And I was like, this is really going to resonate with Jon Snow when he comes back. And they're like, no, he's just Jon Snow. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's just the king of the north. We're doing this thing I again. Think it's, I think it's really laying some track for where that we might see the Hound end up now that he's back with the Brotherhood Without Banners. Like, I, I, he might end up going all Lord of Light on us somehow. The other, I'd be into it. Yeah, the other thing that... Um, that I like that's different in the books is that Thoris is actually sent to convert the Mad King Ares, um, rather than Robert. He stuck around and like drank with Robert, but he was, he was sent initially to convert the Mad King Ares. And the reason why is that the Lord of Light peeps were like, Oh, he likes fire. He'll probably be an easy convert. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They're like, Oh, yeah, we do fire. Come on. He's a Mad fire kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. It was the wrong color fire. <laughs> That's true. Although Melisandre talks about this season that had she been at the Battle of the Blackwater, she could have done something. Is there any sort of evidence that she has power over wildfire? No. No. Just more boasting from Melisandre. Right. She just Fake thinks that she's news. right. <laughs> Fake news. And with that timely callback to real life, we'll have our second break. And we're back for our favorite part, or at least my favorite part. I'm speaking for everybody. Our favorite part of these rethrones are Georgie Awards, little categories of great things, same ones every week. Neil, who has the best death of season three? I, you know, it's funny because as I was listening to Joanna talk about this death in the first segment, I was like, ooh, maybe I picked the wrong one, but I'm sticking with it. Lord Commander Mormont. I just love the moment where, obviously, his death is better in the book. Like his his the way he ends is better in the book. But when he first gets stabbed by Rast, he like grabs him and starts choking him. And I love that the show did this thing where they they just kind of show how tough that old dude was. Oh yeah, like it just takes a lot to kill him. And um, he was he was the old bear. So I think uh, this is my pick anticipating that someone else is going to choose the people who die at the end of episode nine. So Joanna, I like, I'm, I was trying to be creative. I keep trying to be creative, but I just have to give it to Catelyn. Sorry. Like, and so much of its performance, Michelle fairly kills that scene. Um, or she dies, but I, I, I don't know why I'm like such a book pedant in this particular episode, but like, um, 
I do remember back when this originally aired, missing the fact that Catelyn like claws her own face off as she dies. Like I was really into that for some reason. Like she's she's lost her mind and she thinks birds are clawing her face, but she's actually clawing her own face. It's very horrific in the book. But I guess they figured in the show, we stabbed a preg- pregnant lady. What more do you want from us? <laughs> anyway, Michelle Fairley's like, like horse rasping. I've rewatched the red wedding so many times i don't know why i just have and uh i just you can't like like richard madden going like mother and then like her primal wail it's just it's so much so i like i i mentioned in the chat today when i when i was watching it to you guys there's just it'll never be an easy watch yeah. Like no matter how many times you watch it, no matter how how prepared you think you are, it's never going to be easy to watch the red wedding. It's a really, really well done scene. And like every moment, like Catelyn um, discovering the armor on Roose Bolton and then just slapping him, just like the way Michelle fairly slaps him. <laughs> it's just like right. everything. <laughs> Everything. And you know what they do? This is something I noticed that was different. They they really do a good job of selling Catelyn's point of view toward the end of that scene, where she like watches the guy, the tel- the Black Walder go and close the door, yeah. and like it just sort of unfolds, which is very much you know in the book it's all her POV anyway, but it's like her this thing really happens to her, and I think that's just you know little details that I didn't notice the first time around. It's really well done. Yeah. Dave, what's your so, what's your bullshit pick that's not Catelyn Stark? Well, I mean, Catelyn was going to be my first one, but knowing that somebody was going to pick Catelyn because it's obviously the best, I like the White Walker death. That is who a gets good stabbed one. in the back and then looks at it like, "What the fuck?" and then like looks back up at Sam and is like pissed, like how how dare you? Well, they the did indignity. it all thing too. It was like. And then later they talk about how Sam and Bran are talking about how like no one's killed a White Walker in hundreds of years, and Sam's like, "Well, <laughs> that White Walker I, I was just as surprised as Sam was, <laughs> for sure." And especially after like having the cat-faced one at the end of last season, having one that is a, capable of having that expression while like also freezing over and exploding. Pretty great. Big big step up. Yeah, that's a good call. Our next category for our Georgies goes to the most memorable line, which I, I'm, we're, this this season is the season that I had to decide between memorable and favorite and chose memorable for, yes, all men must die, but we are not men, says the Khaleesi to Missandei nice. right before That's a good one. Uh, she decides in her head to kill everybody. I'm going to pick one that was making the rounds uh, early in the Trump administration. No politics, but this this meme was going around <laughs> when um, <laughs> when our when our commander in chief was insistent that everyone recognize that he was commander in chief, and the meme that was going around was Tywin Lannister saying, "Any man who must say I am the king is no true king." And then I also put this in here for Dave, perhaps because he didn't pick it because he picked memorable over favorite. But we have to we have to say. Little fingers, chaos is in a pit. It's, it's a ladder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, there's um, Tywin Lannister's great in this season. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like some of the choice stuff. I still think I'm torn between my two favorite King's Landing sequences being the the Varys and Littlefinger conversation where they're talking about chaos or 
the scene where Tywin walks in and counsels Joffrey. And <laughs> I just love the moment where he walks into the throne room and he stops so his guards know to stop. And then he just keeps walking. It's just Tywin Lannister is next level when it comes to the Game of Thrones. He what just, about when he sends he, King Joffrey to bed without a supper? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's just that whole, uh, just anything between Tywin and pretty much anyone in yep. this season is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not pick any Tywin quotes for mine. <laughs> uh, I picked two, uh, I guess, most memorable and sort of a new favorite. My most memorable is Tyrion at his wedding, <laughs> almost shouting, I am the god of tits and wine. It's a great callback to season two. Um, and then the other one, this is one that I noticed that I never noticed before, where Daenerys, where they're looking out at the second sons, they're spying on the second sons and Yunkai, and she says, uh, she says, a man who fights for gold can't afford to lose to a girl. And I was like, damn, Daenerys, you had some good lines this season. I was super bored with your storyline, so I didn't even notice them. But <laughs> yeah. she had some good ones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she peaks a little bit right before right before getting boring again. Yeah, yeah. Well, in 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 the books, she never quite peaks. <laughs> She's just boring. <laughs> and that brings us to our season MVP category. This could be any character, actor, writer, director. Last season, we all picked Tyrion because, of course, we would. Neil. You picked something kind of out of the box this year. Yes, I picked the countryside of Northern Ireland. Um, and, and I guess all of the different uh, DPs that worked on this season, because the, there's a lot of this season takes place in the woods, it seems. And it is really well shot, really gorgeously shot, especially the Jamie and Brienne stuff. You know, anytime you see them on the bridge or Jamie thinking about going back to the to Heron Hall to get her. It's just these gorgeous landscapes. And they're kind of overshadowed by some of the more effects driven stuff. Like I, at some point we'll talk about the climb, but uh, I thought that just <laughs> some of the basic on, on location cinematography is just gorgeous. So I'm, I'm going with Northern Ireland a whole a whole region yeah. gets gets a Georgie. Take that, Croatia. It's, it's going to be a gigantic statue. Joanna, your MVP. Well, I, I feel like I honestly do, and this is this is uh, you know agreeing with what Neil said basically in the last section, which I kind of feel like the MVP of the season is Tywin Lannister. Um, last season was Tyrion season. The first season is Ned Stark season, and this might be in my in my book Tywin Lannister season. That being said, I just need to give a shout out to like my low key continued favorite of this rewatch in every season, which is Jamie Lannister, who takes an even bigger leap forward this season. So, uh, it's, well, you know, for the second season in a row, I'm going to give it to a Lannister, either Tywin or his golden child, Jamie. Pe- pe- people with one gold hand ornament somewhere <laughs> on their bodies. <laughs> for four seasons running. Wow. <laughs> it's gonna oh, we're gonna wait, see how my, it happens next this season. This is my new favorite thing that the hand of the king is always the uh the MVP. MVP. Mm. It's 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 gonna be hard to argue, especially now that there's a hand of the king and the hand of a queen, that picking a hand is always a good way to go. I guess you could pick Davos as like the shadow hand. Well he's but, the hand of a king. 
he's the hand of a king. Yes, he doesn't get a cool pin, which I feel like maybe like a fire hand. He's actually hand holding a fire. He's actually the uh, only to the first knuckle of one king. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, his hand of the king is his knuckle bones around his neck constantly. Who's the reminding him that Stannis is fair, even though he keeps trying to kill him? Who's the hand for Tommen? Kevin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not going to work out for you that season. (laughs) Um, My MVP is going to director this time, Michelle McLaren, who directs two episodes, The Bear and the Maiden Fair and The Second Sons, which are the two episodes before The Red Wedding and Misa. And the reason she's so good is The Bear and the Maiden Fair basically has nothing really exciting about it until a bear actually has to show up. But it's doing a lot of uh, wrapping up of certain intrigue plot lines and opening up new intrigue plot lines and because of that the bear and the maiden fair and the second sons the like great work that michelle mclaren does is those two episodes uh have this sort of world building feel where i didn't want to leave westeros for those two hours even though like nothing gigantic was happening there wasn't a red wedding there wasn't a marriage well there might be a marriage in one of those i don't remember quite What's happening with Tyrion and Sansa? No, yes, Bear in the Ma- no Second Sons has uh, drunk Tyrion threatening Joffrey, which is amazing in terms of going from Bear in the Maiden Fair, where your huge centerpiece is Brienne fighting a bear, which is all about action and Jaime Lannister saving him, to the Second Sons, where the entire tension of uh, Tyrion and Sansa's wedding night is sort of played out. Michelle McLaren, season MVP. I think, sure. I think my favorite shot in all of Game of Thrones, yep, uh, just for artistry, is Sansa descending the stairs uh, on her wedding day. Uh, just the way that Michelle McLaren shoots that from, it's like an up angle. Uh, I don't know why. It's so magical. I love the little, like, <laughs> that little like, sm- sm- smarmy, half-hearted bow Bronn gives. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so great. Uh, no, I agree. I noticed that as well in the rewatches that uh, those two episodes are really good. Like they they are not going to go down in history as being better, more more impactful than the Reigns of Casimir, but they're better overall episodes. Like they're better yeah. wall to you know open and open to close episodes. Those are the two best episodes of the season. You know why? Jamie and Brienne. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is the Jamie and Brienne thing is amazing. It's actually sort of emblematic of this entire season. It's amazing until the last moment where she has to shout out, the, no, Kingslayer. And he's like, my name is Jamie. And it's just so awkward. I disagree. Can we watch it again? I disagree. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's it, it's just a little, it's a little cartoony that like last two seconds. Jamie, my name is Jamie. I mean, but he just pulled it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cartoony, but it's it's the bear and the maiden listen, fair. So there's there's a bear fight in it. Yeah, I mean, we're we're playing with house money here. That's a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which moves into my favorite category of Georgie's, the best slash worst polygons category. I'm going to go first this time. Yeah. My best polygons goes to John seeing his first giant, not only in how it's shot, but how it's compositioned uh, amongst the white and with a real actor uh, to sort of get him to look like a giant that is finally like the first magical thing we see north that doesn't look like some sort of ice cat person. 
Uh, it really goes a long way, uh, especially after the like really crappy matte painting of the wildling camp that we ended last season on. And my worst polygons goes to the end of the wall during the climb where they get up on top of a white block in a surrounding green screen and try to make, I don't know, a loving, tired scene underneath a little finger model. It's not good. All of that is not good. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, My turn? Yeah, go. I'm going to shit on uh, Dave's dreams and say that I really hate that White Walker that Sam stabs. It's just like, <laughs> it's you're right that it's an improvement on the ice cat person, um, but it's still crappy. <laughs> like, I really don't feel like I said I feel like that's week. another hindsight thing where it's like we see the one at hard home and they yeah. all look like shit compared to that. Exactly. So, like, yeah, when we see the ones at Harm Home, when they, like, figure out that they just need to slap some armor on these people and some CG on their faces, then um, it's a whole different ballgame. So uh, that's my worst. And then my best, uh, I'm trying to learn from, like, my years with Dave Gonzalez. And it's, like, sometimes the best visual effects are the ones that you don't notice at all. So with the bear fight, which is a great scene, we all agree, that bear... And Gwendolyn Christie and Nicolai Costa Waldo were never in the same continent together, I believe is the case. Uh, they filmed Bart the Bear in Los Angeles and they filmed uh, Jamie and Brianne stuff in Northern Ireland. Um, I think it looks pretty seamless. There's a great behind the like anatomy of a scene uh, thing that HBO did of that scene um, where you could see a stuntman wearing Brianne's dress, which is pretty great. And um, yeah, so you can watch that on YouTube and they talk a lot about Bart the Bear, who's like, isn't Bart the Bear like pretty much the bear in every movie and TV show you see. It's one of those famous Hollywood animals. Yeah. That, yes. Like the Frasier wishbone dog, rest in peace. Oh, no, wait. This is, this isn't, uh, somebody's getting email us, I know. This is Bart the Bear 2. I mean, yeah, there have been multiple Bart the Bears. I'm right. saying in, in this, in this special feature, they just referred to him as Bart the Bear. Uh, Dan Weiss seemed like pretty pissed that like Bart the Bear couldn't be in the pen with people. Anyway, it's an entertaining watch, this video. He's like, I just want to lose an actor. <laughs> you, should, you should watch it. Um, but, but yeah, like like Dave has told me years what? in and years The out. same bear was on Scrubs? That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, as Dave has told me, year in and year out, sometimes the best special effects are the ones that you don't even think about. So there you go. Word. There's a bear in that pit. <laughs> <laughs> that there's a bear. <laughs> I love the sound design of that scene. Like there's just like the way the bear sounds, especially at the end when the bear's just like screaming from the pit. He's just pissed because he got shot. Um, it really, you know, Michelle McLaren again and her team. Great. I have some things to say about yeah. polygons, and uh, I'm gonna make this my worst one quick because I've already harped a lot on this. But really, it is like. Season three is going along, and you're like, oh, my God, you're perfect. Oh, my God, you're perfect. Red Wedding, perfect. Closing it up. And then that last shot is terrible. The last shot is... <laughs> it's Obviously, it's problematic, but it's also just ugly. Like, it's just... It, there's, like, really bad... Like, a that background where it pulls up. Like, the dragons look good, but everything behind them looks weirdly out of focus. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, I can't I can't tell you what percentage of that shot is real, but I would guess it's less than 20. 
Oh yeah, because like I would imagine what's real of that shot is like Amelia Clark and like and like ten people. extras. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Um, so it's just it's one of those things where they they bit off more than they could chew. Like they wanted this huge shot to show like the size of her new Kalasar, essentially. And uh, it just, it looks weird. Uh, my favorite polygons of the season is the stuff with them climbing the wall because it's a really good um, mix of practical and digital. And my favorite shot might be one of my favorite shots in the entire show is the shot of Tormund climbing with everybody behind him because he's, he's very wind blown and he's just a big ginger, gorgeous, manly man. <laughs> in his element and he's he just looks so happy he's climbing the wall he's like i am like you know those old spice commercials with that guy who's like super proud to be very manly uh this is the personification this is the real version of that shit this is the manliest man in all of westeros and beyond in his element climbing the wall as he's done dozens of times i'm so so I'm so mad that you like called him beautiful because I really want to tease you for your torment boner, but you're just like not even ashamed. Oh of it. no! So I can't tease you. You're just like here that it is, is a gorgeous ass man. Here is my torment boner. All right. <laughs> that's why you make. That's why you're making fun of my boy Jamie Lannister because you're just like should have been tormented in that bath. Well, you. what's I see what, you. What's funny <laughs> is that you know Tormund's a character that comes. You know he, he was introduced this season, and his introduction wasn't so great. But that whole episode, you get the I fucked a bear thing. <laughs> like, he starts that story, and then he's just awesome through that whole episode, The Climb. And uh, that's where I fell in love. Yeah, the Fen really, really s- steals Tormund's Thunder. A little bit. <laughs> and that brings us to Most Improved Performance, which, luckily for us, uh, you guys chose the same thing, and I chose the partner, the scene partner for this person. So uh, I think we both just actually like... might change mine. How oh, okay. dare you? <laughs> well, to get... well, then we'll go to we'll go to Joanna first and establish a baseline. Oh my god, the obvious most improved performance in this season is Nicola Coaster Waldo. I always mispronounce your name, my friend, but I always love you very deeply your bathtub scene this is not a direct address address to him i'm gonna stop that's creepy um (laughs) the the bathtub scene is one of the finest moments in all of game of thrones history everyone knows it uh the fact that jamie loses his sword hand his pride and joy in the season um the dinner scene (laughs) um where brian has to cut his meat for him everything all jamie all the time even the Kyburn stuff, all good. So, Nicola Coaster Waldo is my answer. Well, I'm going to take Gwendolyn Christie because I think that she manages to take what, you know, Mr. Waldo's putting out and turn it into more layers for her character, which, although I love her when she's with Catelyn, Catelyn doesn't really bring out better things in Brienne for me, like she begins flowering here. When we, you know, uh, it's like uh, you, you hear her say she loved Renly and everyone kind of rolls their eyes. But when we eventually get around to the question of does Brienne love Jamie, there's absolutely no question, even though she doesn't have to answer because of the work she does with the character this season. 
So it might get paid off a little bit later, but I think Gwendolyn Christie definitely is leaps and bounds above a uh, person that had to scream while Randley got shadow stabbed. Until, of course, she realizes that she's in love with a super manly guy with two hands and a oh. red beard. No, oh, she doesn't want him. She doesn't <laughs> like him at all. Uh, she just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> Oh, that's a terrible oh, attitude. God, no. That's that's bad. Never mind. It's terrible. She can be in love Neil. with Jamie. I don't care. <laughs> I'll offer you this pivot point away from that conversation. Do you have a most improved performance? Yeah, so it's interesting because I originally was like, when I looked at the notes, I was like, yeah, Joanna's right. Nikolai Kosterwaldo. But the category is most improved. And I think that he was good the whole way. Like, he's really great in season one. So he's great, but he's always been great. There are other people that I think may have improved more. And I think Alfie Allen improves significantly. Because I, I kind of thought right. we could get through this without even talking about <laughs> <laughs> So Alfie Allen, I think, improves significantly. Um, I also found the same thing about uh, Rob Stark, uh, Richard Madden. Because he was sort of a non-presence, uh, other than being the guy everyone talked about winning battles. But he really, really sort of knocks it out of the park in season three. And it, the show needed it because it needed you to be gutted when he gets killed. Uh, so I think I, I would say Alfie Allen, Richard Madden, probably the two most improved performances. Whereas Nikolai Custerwaldo was the best performance of the season. So I don't disagree. I like I like not disagreeing, but also sort of providing two other answers. Yeah, that seems fine with me. Yeah, and I mean I, the, that Jamie scene is like top three scenes. Period. Yep. But no, sure. I mean you're you're right that like he was already I I believe that Nicola Costawaldo was already bringing his like a minus game to like season one and season two, and so like him stepping up to a plus is not like that far of a leap. Versus mm-hmm. Richard Madden. So, like, in terms of most improved, I might have to give it to you, but I just, right. I, I uh, do see it Nick, does, so good. you know, he, I, I just think also Nikolai Costerwaldo gets more to do in season three. Like, it's a very Jamie heavy season, yeah. and that, you know, well, he's I rewarded. Think- I think we've all been sort of like one thing, uh, you know, while while watching this, the same was true for the Tyrion season and season two is like when you're watching these characters and these actors have their best seasons, then you're like, oh, God, now they're just not going to know know what to do with Jamie for like basically three more seasons. Right. right? Like they just don't know what to do with him Um, until he stands at the fingers while Cersei's at the neck. Right, but like, or maybe like, like his River Run stuff was pretty good last season. Like that to me felt like the most return to Jamie we had seen. Like he gets back to King's Landing. I mean, this is getting ahead of myself, though Dave knows what I'm talking about since he's already finished season four. But like, you know, he gets back to King's Landing. They send him to fucking Dorne. It's all terrible. And then he goes to River Run and he says some creepy stuff and he gets to interact with Brienne again and it's all better. I mean, he does have some good stuff in season four when he like, Sends Brienne away. Basically, don't separate Jamie from Brienne. The end. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> well, you know what it is, though? Um, I don't want to move on yet. Um, <laughs> you know what it is, though? It's the show realizing that they couldn't do what the books do, which is have Jamie and Cersei sort of break up, like permanent, have a permanent break. So they spent a lot of time kicking tires with who can we pair him up with 
that is kind of like that'll be as fun as Brienne, and there's just nobody. Like even Jerome Flynn. Yeah, even Braun can't doesn't it, pass like, that test. Yeah. Yeah, there's just no perfect match, and they sort of get there a little bit with the Blackfish, but it's 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 only it's very short lived. So it's funny that they would try Braun though, because like the reason that Gwendolyn Christie's uh, Brienne works so well with it is she's like she's rigid, she's uptight, like she's got all this. You know, and he's like sarcastic. Bronze basically and just like Jamie. Yeah, you don't like you don't double down on the Jamie. You give him a better foil anyway. So, which is why the Blackfish is close because the Blackfish is closer to Brienne. So, all right, now yeah. we can move on. Should we? Sorry. Yes. Oh yeah. Sorry, I didn't. Mean no, to no, keep no. That it's, no, it's my fault. <laughs> Our next category would be best character introduction. We're gonna go with Neil first. On no, this no, one, no. I, I just want to start. I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna seed this category entirely. Just say I had something written down. I saw what Dave had written down. Dave is right. I I yield <laughs> to the represent <laughs> the gentleman from Colorado. <laughs> I yield my time. Oh, well then let's not keep you in suspense. It's Elena Ty- Lady Elena Tyrell. Duh, just oh, for sure. best, maybe one of the best Game of Thrones characters ever. Definitely one of the best Game of Thrones characters ever. Uh, shows up and you know talks about her farts smelling like roses and if she'd be able to have sex with Varys, it is just the most pleasant thing in this season. Yeah. Right. And that scene with her and Charles dance is just so good. Delicious. I love that. I love that in every scene where Tywin, somebody's coming to like get something from Tywin. Uh, like he does that thing to his children where he's just like writing and not paying attention to them. He does it to Tyrion. He does it to Cersei, but then Elena just does not let them. She's just not having it. She just yeah. she just goes right into it. Same with Tyrion. She like keeps Tyrion at bay just by berating him yeah. nonstop. It's fantastic. It, it is amazing. Um, so I'm gonna agree with Joanna that you're right, but I will say that the introduction of the Brotherhood is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Thoros and Angai. I did not realize how much I missed the Archer. Does he die? I, what happens to him? Pretty sure he dies. Anyway, I miss that guy. He was great. He had like a moment with uh like teaching Arya how to shoot. And um but I just I love the hot pie sky shot. The hot pie sky shot's pretty great. And I I worry. I guess this is me being a little wistful in the sense that I know the Brotherhood is back in the new season because they were back in the last season. And they're just never gonna be as fun as they were when they first showed up. And they're never going to do Lady Stoneheart, maybe. I don't know. I still believe, but it's kind of, I'm skeptical at this point. Um, so it really feels like in that moment, they were perfect. In that moment, they were everything I wanted them to be based on what I knew of the, from the books. And they'll never be that again. So Thoros and Angai, best character introduction. Um, Angai does not die. We just last see him in Bear and the Maiden Fair. And then I don't believe he was like with them. He was definitely not with them last season. Oh, so there's still a mystery? And guys out there with Lady Stoneheart, obviously. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Him and Lady Stoneheart and Nymeria are like a SEAL Team 6 killing <laughs> highborns. I mean, they would be. <laughs> I, like, a thousand percent would watch, so. it's it's. Uh, Give me the six spinoff, guys. I got it's it. It's the Riverlands. Uh, the, the spinoff is called Riverlands Team 6. Yeah. Yes. I like it. <laughs> And uh, finally, our last category, which can only go 
actually the Catelyn Stark this season, which is the Catelyn Stark Memorial Most Ironic Statement Award. Mine actually does come from Catelyn Stark because she blames herself for everything before we figure out that it's been a battle between fire, God, and ice zombies this whole time. She says, and he lived, and I couldn't keep my promise, and everything that's happened to since then, all this horror that's come to my family, it's all because I couldn't love a motherless child. This is after her monologue about how she realizes the whole war was her fault because she couldn't love Jon Snow when he had a fever, and now she prays differently. Anyway, it was... I, I, at the time, I felt like, yes, you should definitely realize that everything is karmically connected to the weird decisions you've made from letting Jamie go to arresting Tyrion. But uh, now, having spent several seasons without Catelyn Stark and getting a wider view, come on, Catelyn Stark, it's not all about you. <laughs> Oof. 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 Also, have fun now that you're dead. Oh, dead? Maybe, probably. Um, <laughs> mine. I got. I have two. One is something that Tyrion Lannister says to Joffrey Baratheon when he says, "Kings are dropping like flies." Um, and in just a few short episodes, King Joffrey will drop like fly. Uh, that's not really that ironic. The other one is also not really that ironic. I didn't have a good one this season, but, um, <laughs> it's when Bran says, hush Hodor, no more Hodoring. And it just sort of, as, as Neil mentioned earlier, made me think of the last time Hodor Hodored. So, ah, yeah, again, my tough. heart. No yeah, it's really, it's really, Hodor the Hodor Ring. stuff is really rough the second time around yeah. after season six. Um, mine, I think, is something that will continue to pay off until this character goes away. Um, but it's a Tyrion Lannister line very early in the season where he says, is there an idiot in any village who trusts Littlefinger? The answer is yes. People continue to trust Littlefinger, even though he does terrible shit to sow chaos. And uh, I feel like that's going to come back in season seven with Sansa. Sansa, and John. Let's, yeah. Sansa let's go to Winterfell. It'll be fine. I've it's heard fine. that Ramsay Bolton kid is fine. It'll be <laughs> fun. Marry him. Cement your power in the north. It's going to be great. Let's yep. go. Yeah, that's tough. Lysa, well, Lysa, like... babe, Lysa, I haven't seen you in so long. It's so good to see you. Oh, girl, I missed you. You're my boo. You know you are. Yeah, that's right. We're coming up on Littlefinger Ascendant, as I like to call it. <laughs> Which is, you know, definitely... Chaos Reigns. Neil, where are we going to, to find an Ascendant Littlefinger? We're going to season four. Here is my preview of season four. Oberyn Martell, full stop. I just got shivers. That's pretty great. I got so excited. That's the only... <laughs> like, I'm right when we're done recording... I am going to start up season four and bask in the glory of knowing that I probably can't skip episode eight. (laughs) See, here's the thing. You don't want to skip episode eight. As somebody who's done it already, let me tell you, there's only like 10 seconds you're going to be sad. Right. Because every second he's on screen is great. Yeah, he is really great through that whole fight scene. And then he gets his head squashed. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Do you do you know why all the world hates a Lannister? <laughs> I'm getting really excited. Uh yes, season four. Season four uh is it has its hits and misses, but it has Oberyn, so it's always gonna be worth it. Fantastic. So until next week, make sure to do your homework, watch all of season four, 
and find more of us online. Neil, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me a little bit over at filmschoolrejects.com, but I'm taking some of the week off. I'm having a little uh, little vacation, little mini vacation. Uh, you can follow me at rejects. I also won't be tweeting over the weekend, uh, but I will be watching season four anyway. So I might end up tweeting. I don't know. This is going on too long. Uh, <laughs> so, But also make sure you follow the show at Storm of Spoilers. And if you have questions, comments, uh, otherwise... Uh, stormerspoilers at gmail.com is our email address. And Joanna Robinson. You can find me on vanityfair.com. You can find me talking about Twin Peaks over on Peaks TV. I'm not on Little Gold Men this week. You can hear me talk about the American Gods podcast on this very feed. And if you see Neil Miller tweeting over the weekend, remind him that a break from technology is rewarding and he should go the fuck away <laughs> with love with love i've asked people to bully me off twitter before when i've been trying and failing yeah. to take a twitter break so. you know what i'm gonna do though i'm gonna create a bunch of drafts about my game of thrones thoughts and i'm just gonna unleash them on monday it's gonna great. be like a hundred tweet thread great do it <laughs> And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can find my other podcasts at fightingintheworldroom.com. This week, uh, we balanced out last week's Christy Puchko Wonder Woman review with me, myself, uh, David Ehrlich, and Matthew Patches uh, reviewing Wonder Woman to Katie, who didn't see it. So accidentally mansplained. Sorry, guys. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Stay tuned for next week. (laughs) Next week, we're going to be doing a live episode from David Ehrlich's wedding. So if you like film, look at our back catalog. If you like us, stick around. Am I on that episode? Uh, It hasn't happened yet, but probably. We're going to make Katie Rich play some like iPhone games. It's going to be stupid and fun. (laughs) It's going to be great. Uh, But guys, you know know what else is going to be great? I hear we got another wedding invitation in the mail. This one, it's a royal wedding. And you know, those are the greatest events. We'll see you in King's Landing for a purple something. <laughs>